22 and we're reading verses 1 through to 24. So Genesis chapter 22 from verse 1. Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together... Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Sometime later Abraham was told Melchiah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uz the firstborn, Buz his brother, Kimul the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jolaf, and Bethul. Bethul became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. 
His concubine, whose name was Ruma, also had sons, Tibra, Gehan, Tahash, and Makar. We thank God for his word to us. So if you join me uh, in Genesis chapter two, uh, 22, verses uh, 1 to, to 24. I came across this uh, story just thinking about the last prayer I prayed for those in commerce and business. A man arrived at heaven's gate and was asked sternly if he had anything on his conscience. conscience. The man looked down sorrowfully I'm afraid I have, he stammered. You see, for years I've been cheating. Cheating? I'm afraid so. That's extremely serious, says the uh, receptionist. The man looked hopelessly at the locked gates. Go on. Well, I was the scorer for the St. Tuwa Tudwell's darts team. And every match... I just added a few points here and there to our score and now that St. Tudwalls became top of the pub darts league for the last five years running. I don't think that's anything to worry about, said the man with the white beard opening the pearly gates. Come on in, lad. The man was overwhelmed. But St. Peter, I thought... Oh, I'm not St. Peter, said the kindly old man. He's got a day off. I'm St. Tudwall. This passage of scripture is a very special passage for us and as we kind of get into this we need to remind ourselves that there is specific guidance um, to individuals in scripture and specific general revelations in other parts of scripture and I'm quite challenged because we had our AGM earlier and uh, Mike, our church secretary, read out our safeguarding policy. And I think the senior minister is testing me. Um, but I want to say that for the last uh, decade or more, I've been advocating for child rights, whether in IJM and beyond. Um, but it's really important we understand, because there can be responses to this scripture which are very understandable. We might hear this story and think, how on earth... Could God ask Abraham to do this? What kind of God would ask someone to do this? That's one position. And there will be another position that will actually perhaps take the text more lightly and say, well, we need, you know, just to take the text less seriously. What I want to do here this evening is say, actually, we need to take this text seriously. It's part of the biblical canon of scripture and what God was doing specifically through Father Abraham, this amazing man who followed God. I don't know how you are with waiting. I think you all well know that I don't wait very well. If I see a queue in a shop, in fact, I went to Sainsbury's yesterday to fill up with diesel and there was a queue of cars and I just bypassed it. I'm not waiting in a queue. Waiting for God's timing is a hard thing to do. Waiting for something to happen tests the importance of what God has said to us as well as our belief that God will fulfill it in our lives. 
whether that be personally or corporately as church. And Genesis chapter 22 is leaping into this kind of testing, a test of sacrifice. And we need to realise as followers of Jesus, we cannot follow him without sacrifice, without submission, without letting go, putting self outside the centre. And there's no way we can uh, wriggle around that. And the timing test tried Abraham on his endurance and suffering. Many years Abraham had to go without. The test to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, tested his belief in the impossible as well as God's determination to accomplish what he would through Abraham. Abraham was asked to give up the very glimmer of hope, a son, to fulfill the things that he'd waited so long his whole life through. No matter how much Abraham had prospered, the test is about who he would pass it down to. So if he's faithful to God, he takes out the very promise of the future. If he doesn't fulfill the obedience, he is discredited in God's sight. Abraham was willing to sacrifice all that he had or dreamed of. He cared less for his dreams. And this is the important thing. He cared more about obedience to what God wanted. And some will ask about the morality of asking a father to kill his child. And the issue is not easy to resolve unless one takes God's perspective. This was a unique set of circumstances. Remember in a Hebraic culture where sacrifice, animal sacrifice was a reality, a daily occurrence. So how is God going to try and make a point? God uses the cultural norm to make that point. And so let's first ask if it was immoral to offer up Jesus Christ on the cross. And none of us here who are beneficiaries of the crucifixion, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ would say that we would say that was immoral. What we find in Jesus is someone who has lovingly given up his life in faithfulness and obedience to be that bridge between heaven and earth. And God is holy. He's done something that's very special. We must sometimes learn to accept in faith the fact that God can ask others to give up their life by the hand of others, especially when there is a greater purpose involved. I was thinking as we were singing um, that first hymn, Fill Thou My Life in Every Part, I was thinking of the film, um, The Mission. It came out in the late 1980s. It starred Robert De Niro, and he was the key actor, and Jeremy Irons, who gave up his life um, to protect this village that was being oppressed by the Spanish in South America. And the whole idea of sacrifice... Or if you think of Hudson Taylor, this great British missionary to China who saw these young men and women who went to China who were slaughtered for their faith 
and how we now have a vibrant, growing Chinese church and at the time so hard to trust God for Hudson Taylor. And so in our time, thousands of unborn are extinguished across the UK and no one says anything about that. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army and he was greatly stirred by the needs of the poor of London and realised that most churches were doing nothing to reach the undesirables, the drunkards, the morphine addicts, the prostitutes and the poor. So he set out to reach them with what he called the three S's, soup, soap and salvation. Thousands were saved among those that most churches had no interest in reaching and Booth gave his life for the cause of reaching others. And when he was in his 80s, Booth's work began to be hindered because he was suffering with very bad eyesight. In fact, he was almost blind and he lost his sight briefly and then he recovered it. But later he lost his vision permanently. And his son Bramwell came to bring him the bad news that he would never see again. And William Booth replied, God must know best, Bramwell. I have done what I could for God and the people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can for God and the people without my eyes. That obedience, that followership, no matter what, is something for us to all aspire to. And here in this story of Isaac, we see Isaac carrying the wood needed for his sacrifice. And it clearly gives us a picture of Christ carrying his cross, the wooden cross upon which he would be sacrificed. And I suspect that our Lord meditated on this passage of Isaac as he carried his cross. He chose to be the loyal son as Isaac chose to be. Isaac was a strong teenager that was in his father's company and trusted his father. We don't read of any physical struggle to have Isaac lie on the altar. By carrying the wood, we know Isaac was at least a young man. And it is possible that Abraham knocked him out, but the context doesn't lead us to this line of thinking. Instead, we see an obedient son laying on the altar when being bound by his father. And this is the perfect picture of Jesus willing to give up his life on the cross at his heavenly father's request. Isaac, it seems, is allowing his father to do what he needs to do. And these are tough things in our day and age. It seems abusive almost. And of course, we, if any of you were doing that in our church, we would be the first to respond and intercept what was going on. But there's a unique set of circumstances going on here. The greatest struggle is not to wait for gaining what we hope for, but to give up what we have gained. And I never forget when I was at theological college and we are people of the book but we can be in danger of worshipping this book 
and putting this book in the place of Christ. We can be in danger of putting this suite of buildings in the place of Christ. We can put our beloved spouse in the place of Christ. And this is what this story is all about. It's about, are you willing, am I willing to follow Jesus first and foremost in my life? Am I willing to put him right at the centre before anything else, before my health, before my aspirations, my children, the future? And this is the great challenge. And that's what God was doing through Abraham, this great man of faith who would change the world. Do you truly love me? Are you willing to give everything up for me? And to lay down, actually, not your life, that would be actually easier. If you want to hurt someone, you don't take that person out, you take what they love out. That's what hurts. And Jesus talks about this experience in John 15, about the vine and the branches about the pruning that goes on. Um, I am known in uh, gardening talk or speak, when I have to trim something, I give it a number one. Which, uh, so I've been told in the past to just hang back when I'm pruning, I don't give it a number one haircut. I prune where it's appropriate. It's a bit like trimming nails. If you go too far back, it hurts, doesn't it? But there is pruning that God does for you and me in life. And it can be painful, but there is a purpose to the pruning about fruitfulness. And this is something that we need to think about. Fruitfulness in terms of holiness, fruitfulness in terms of legacy and the way lives are impacted for good and for God. God tested Abraham And this test is a careful arrangement of circumstances so his faith can grow. And on the top of that, our faith grows because of his obedience. If he can do that, if he can put God right at the centre and not have any idols, including the one thing he so wanted, Isaac, we can do the same. Remember that the fruit we bear will only be as good as the plant itself. God is constantly upgrading the plant so it bears better fruit. I can think of many times that God has asked disciples to give up things and aspirations and I'm sure David won't mind me mentioning. There David Harper is as a leading minister within the Baptist Union in a significant church in East Anglia and he does the absurd thing of going to this out of the way obscure Baptist church in East Kent and this is the sort of thing that God calls us to self-forgetfulness now there were God's purposes were in that of course we said in the prayer this morning the Lord's prayer uh, Lord lead me not into temptation the actual word is parasmus lead me not into testing to that which I can bear and God will never take us beyond testing that we can bear but we need to be tested, to be proved. We take our cars in for MOT testing. We have a health check for our organs to be tested. We're tested all the time. 
Scott Pett, the great Christian psychiatrist, said, Life is difficult. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. I.e., we shouldn't expect to go sailing through life without tribulation and testing. And there are tests. There are tests in growing up. There are tests in marriages. There are tests in parenting. There are tests at work, in our neighbourhood. The world's reaction, though, is how we are obedient to our vision and values as people of Jesus. Abraham's test grades, he leaves his, leaves his family, he chooses to allow Lot to have the favoured part and proportion of the land, he refuses to spoil, he goes on a trip to Egypt, he has a child with Hagar, which was plan B, and he has different trials and uh, tribulations, and God uses these trials for a special purpose this man who was called a friend of God. And the devil uses temptations to bring out the worst in us, while God uses trials to bring out the best in us. Good old, the late John Wimber, you can either be bitter or better. An Anglican friend of mine was uh, at a Christian um, uh, resort, well, his resort is a bit of a big uh, guest house up in Norfolk, and uh, uh, so <laughs> he was there with his wife, and it was a singles away week, um, and these were a lot of Christian singles, and um, who were uh, in their sort of sixties onwards age profile, and there were some very bitter people there, angry people, because of what had happened in their relationships before. And we get caught up in these things and we need to slay those things that would distract us from following Jesus. I spoke at the men's breakfast about something in my own walk and journey that happened to me in a workplace experience where I was incredibly angry, angry about what had happened and the way I was treated. And I recognised that actually if I didn't deal with this, it was going to eat me up. And we need to deal with these things because it doesn't harm the people who may have brought about this. Trials and tests are tailor-made under God's purposes. God never asked Lot to face the tests that Abraham faced. We need to remember that. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I tell you. Wow, most of us here would have said, hang on a minute, God. Well, can we time out? Can I just bring my lawyers in? We need to talk about our contract together in this relationship. You're telling me to kill the very promise that you gave. But Abraham accepts and maybe that's because he's learnt through his experiences that God is good and God will never do anything to harm us and he never sends a test until he knows that we're ready for it and imagine the heart of Abraham God couldn't be clearer your son, your only son the one you love and he realised that if I fulfil that I am back to barrenness. 
I am back to no future for my people. How unreasonable was God's request. Only son. Why don't you just call Ishmael out? Why can't I deal with Ishmael? No, kill Isaac. What about the covenant? The whole future to build around this boy Isaac. And Abraham does not resist, but is faithful. And so Abraham tested God, trusted God rather, trusted God in the face of an inexplicable word. He rose early in the morning and we know the story. He took a 50 mile journey. And Abraham's obedience was not based on his understanding of feelings, but upon his faith and experience in God. God's will never contradicts God's promise. Remember that. God has a will and purpose for your life and the life of this church. And it will never be contradicted to the promise. We read in Hebrews 11:17, Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. He'd already experienced the resurrection power in his own body to have a child at 90 years of age. And we see in Abraham someone who chose to trust God, someone who loved God. And so we need to expect God's promises to lead to God's provision. When God calls us to step out, to trust in the face of trials, there is provision. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Behold, the fire in the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham consoles his son. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them walked on together. Isaac's curiosity was mixed with a simple faith. Isaac had seen God speak to and work through his dad before so he could trust him. Charles Stanley, the senior minister at First Baptist Church, Atlanta, says, if God says, run your head through a brick wall, you take off running and God will put a hole there when you need it. We know the story unfolds. The angel stops Abraham from piercing Isaac's heart. God allowed a ram to get caught in a thicket and directed Abraham's attention to provide for the burnt offering. When God's work is done, God's way, it will never lack God's supply, said Hudson Taylor. When God's work is done, God's way, it will never lack God's supply. And so Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. And we went through the names of God earlier this year. The Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it and reaffirm to Abraham that he had provided a lamb for the sacrifice. And so when God's provision comes in response to his promise, then his glory is protected. In times of testing, it is easy to think only about our needs and our burdens when perhaps it's really beginning to think about bringing glory to Jesus. Sometimes we're thinking through our testings, how can I get out of this? Perhaps we should think about 
what can I get out of this that will honour the Lord? Sufferings in our life are often wasted because we neglect the opportunities that are found in them to lift up the name of Jesus. So Abraham returned to his young men. They arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Hudson Taylor, that great missionary, used to hang in his home a plaque with two Hebrew words on it, Ebenezer and Jehovah Jireh. They mean, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. The Lord will see to it or provide. And we need to hang those on the bathrooms and the mantelpieces of our homes. The Lord will see to it. He will provide for you. He will provide for you. Amen. Let's pray together.